Coach Taku. Making anime your new life coach. Listeners, happy Friday. It's almost the weekend. And of course, it's time for your favorite podcast. This is Mary, and I'm here with the radiant, ever magical Christina. And of course, we're talking about anime and coaching today. So, the anime that we're bringing for a conversation is actually one of my favorites. It combines the spirit world with human world and has all kinds of gods in it and has a romance story. And so, of course, it's none other than Noragami. And if you don't know Noragami, then I highly suggest that you watch it prior to listening. But to make a long story short and give you a synopsis, it takes it's about a middle school student. Her name is Hiyori, and she tries to save a boy from well, what she thinks is a boy from a car accident. Come to find out later that the boy is actually a god. And in trying to save him, she actually gets hit by the truck herself. And this results in her becoming a half spirit, half human. And as a half spirit, she now can see other spirits and talk to them. And she's introduced to this whole new world of like gods, spirits, evil phantoms, etc. And so she prays to the boy god who saved her to turn her back into a full human and that's how the whole story begins yeah so first of all i gotta give mary a shout out because she was the one that finally pushed me to watch the series it had always been like on my radar but you know how it is when new stuff coming out every season and you get lazy uh but part of why i was really excited to finally dive into noragami was i learned that it is animated by bones And, you know, if you don't know what that means yet, I'm not talking about a skeleton, (laughs) the animation studio Bones, they're responsible for some of my all-time faves, Darker Than Black, Soul Eater, Oron High School Host Club. Uh, They've even supported with some of the Full Metal Alchemist adaptations, like they've been around the block. And so I was excited even just from a creative animation design perspective to get into the series. Um, But the other reason I was excited for it is because I think as a coach, if you give me any kind of series that offers characters that are up for reinvention, I'm sold. And reinvention is very much the theme that we want to cover in Noragami because aptly, Noragami roughly translates to stray god. And here you have a series filled with characters that are straying from, or in other words, reinventing the path that they're on. And reinvention is potent. Particular to this series, it's really the place where we allow to get, we allow ourselves to get a second chance. Um, and sometimes along that second chance, you know, we learn that the path we thought we should be on isn't the path we're meant to be on. We diffuse what other people think of us versus what we want to think of ourselves. We also get to learn from all the mistakes that we have made. And so I feel 
that perhaps the best character to start us off with in terms of someone who may have made decisions they're not the proudest of is our very own God of Calamity. Uh, Mary, do you want to kick us off with this one? Oh, Yato, Yato. So our main character is known as Yato or Yato Gamin, Gamin being meaning God in Japanese. And Yato, at the beginning of the story, we see him working really hard to just answer minimal prayers. Like, hey, can you find my cat? Hey, can you help me pass this test? Hey, I'm getting bullied. Can you help me out with this? And you see that he he's really struggling. He has what's called the Shinki, a spirit who's also acts as his weapon and as do all the gods in this series. And you can tell that he doesn't have a really good relationship with his Shinki. Like she doesn't like him. She's like, you have sweaty hands and I don't like this. And you're poor and we live on the street. So you can tell that Yato isn't like a really well-known God. He doesn't have his own shrine. And you, you're really wondering what the story is. And as you find out, you, you realize that he's actually, he's not a delivery God as he portrays himself, markets himself. He was actually born as a calamity God or a God of war, a God who took on those really bad prayers the prayers that were like i want to get rid of this person because they're annoying me (laughs) or i want you to cause death and disaster i want you to start a war those are the kinds of reasons that he was actually he actually came into existence and something in his path kind of shook him and he said i don't want to do that anymore i want to be a different kind of god But throughout the entire series, you see how there's this tension between the old way of his being and the new way of his being. And this particularly comes into play when he acquires a new Shinki called Yuki, who's a 14-year-old boy who passed away. And now he's become his, his, his spirit and also his weapon as a blade. So you see how he's trying to forge a new relationship with Yuki while also really fighting with his relationship with Nora, who's actually a stray Shinki and the one that he was originally born with, who's been with him in those dark times when he's killed people and started wars and done all of that stuff. Yeah. And, um, you know, <laughs> I love Yato as a character. I, I think the way that you just described him of how he tries to market himself kind of sums up his character as a whole. Uh, I think most of us, when we think of spirits and gods, we think of these like, you know, potent divine beings that are untouchable. And something that I love about spirit as it's explored in anime in general is so often the gods are just like us. They just have a little extra immortality or magic to back them up. And what really struck me with Yato is, you know, in his former life, as a god of calamity and depression, he was incredibly successful. Like he was actually a very famous god and had many shrines and many people that would come to pray to him. And so what I find so ironic about his new sales pitch is he is trying to self-stamp himself as a god of good fortune, which is amazing because I'd say he probably has some of the worst fortune of any of the characters in the series. But I also love that you touch on Nora and Yuki, um, Mary, because we'll go into both of them and their reinvention stories a little bit more. 
But I think what they really get to represent for Yato is Nora is very much a representation of his past. And Yuki, even with his early rebelliousness, gets to represent this new future that Yato is creating on purpose and for himself that feels more aligned with what it is that he wants to be as a god. Yeah, and you, we can see the struggles. Like you can see that this new way of being is not easy for him. And, you know, Christine, I think we were almost talking about this in every episode now. But when you have a vision, when you're trying to reinvent yourself, when you're looking for support for a dream that's much bigger than yourself for a way of being that's totally new, it's super important to have the people and community around you that really support that. And I think what we see with uh, Yato is that there's a hesitation. There's a fear that this these new friends, this new community is just going to disappear and leave him alone. Because what's true for minor gods in the series is that if they're not prayed to, if nobody is actually making prayers or offerings to them, they die, they disappear, they don't reincarnate. So it's really heavy for him that he continues to hold on to some kind of existence. And I think that's the relationship, that's the threat that actually ties him to Nora. The reason that he doesn't really fully let go until the end of the second season. And that's the reason that it's so hard for him to be with Yuki and with Hiyori, because he says, they might forget me someday. This is really heartbreaking, but it also brings to light that when we're going through our own reinvention stories, when we're trying something totally different and new, those fears are going to come up for us. And they may not be about disappearing, but they may be around like a loss of safety, a loss of some kind of security that we've been used to or attached to. So it's important to surround ourselves with the people who are going to support those dreams and actually keep us moving forward. Yeah. And, you know, to that end, Mary, um, I'm kind of, I really want to talk about Nora for a second because, you know, Yato gets to have the agency to reinvent how his story goes. And we talk a lot about getting to be responsible for how our life goes. And for some people in their circumstances, that's not the case. They've never gotten to experience a life that they chose on purpose. And Nora, for as crazy as I think she is sometimes <laughs> and manipulative and, you know, angry and all these different things, I found myself falling in love with her and having a lot of heartbreak and compassion for her because something unique about this series is that there's a lot of name play going on. And Nora, that's not actually her name. Like, interestingly enough, Nora has been the Shinki for other gods. And each god that has wielded her as a weapon has bestowed upon her a different name. And so Nora has actually existed across many centuries, taking on many different identities and never truly forging one for herself. And what's amazing is Nora, again, isn't a name but it's the absence of one. Like Yato actually purposefully calls her that because it means stray as a way to not give her a name. And while that can feel cruel or disconnecting or isolating, in some ways I think that it's really perfect because it speaks to how as Yato is on this path of choosing who he wants to be for himself, Nora actually has that same opportunity. 
Granted, she's far more confronted by it because all she knows is to be a good and useful weapon. And all she desires is to, you know, be praised and to have people show up and, you know, to have shrines and to have people show up and pray to them. Um, But it was just a fascinating concept to me because I think Nora, for a lot of people, could represent those of us who just continue going through life the way we always have because we've never dared to dream of anything bigger than that. Like we've never dared of a reinvention story for ourselves. Or we're so scared of losing what we have because what we know about Nora is that as crazy and weird and quirky as she may come out, she does have a lot of love for Yato. You can see that there's a lot of loyalty and she misses him. She misses the relationship that they have as comes out in so many different interactions that they have. And she's always trying to bring him back to her, whatever means possible, <laughs> whatever means possible, listeners. So, um. I think what's important to know for her is that she doesn't see a different way out of that. She doesn't, this is the only thing that she knows how to do. And she'll do, she'll make the disempowered choice because it's the only way that she knows how to hold on to the person that she loves, which is really heartbreaking because I'd love to actually just see Nora choose something for herself outside of everyone else who has branded her with a name. And then on the flip side of that, you have Yuki. (laughs) And Yuki is a very young spirit. He's, I think, 13 or 14 at the time that he died. And he becomes Yato's Shinki almost without a choice because they were in a dire situation. And Yato's like, well, I guess you're here and you're pure spirit. Let's do this. And so what we find about Yuki is that he's still really coming to terms with his own death and with now being a spirit, not being human anymore. And he's kind of like in the situation where he can't accept that he's dead and that he's now lost the ability to play video games, go to school, have a girlfriend, graduate, um, you know, like, I don't know, skateboard, all the things that were normal for kids his age and that he's now stuck as being a shinky, a blade for a god who who doesn't have a home, who's homeless. And so he's really struggling with all these conflicting thoughts. And what's unbeknownst to Yuki and also to Hiyori is that every time Yuki uh, rebels against the god that he has a relationship with, it actually stings his god and it stings him. Like there's this actually the create almost like phantom spirit eyes on their bodies every time it happens it's kind of gross and kind of cool at the same time but kind of gross and so it gets to a point that Yuki's rebelliousness causes him um a come to Jesus moment because he's now stung Yato to the point that if nothing happens they're both gonna die and that actually becomes a turning point the reinvention story for Yuki and um Yeah, what's powerful about that moment is that after that ceremony, which was really intense and he had to confess all his sins and, (laughs) you know, he grew out wings. It was really grotesque and kind of fun. And he actually becomes the opportunity to say, "Okay, this is how I want it to go. I accept that I'm dead and I know that there's nothing, nothing's going to change that. But I have these people who care about me now. You know, I have Yato and some of the other gods and I have Hiori. And this is who I can be now moving forward. 
And it really causes like a 360 shift for Yuki. Yeah. And so again, because I'm obsessed with the naming mechanisms of this series, <laughs> you know, if Nora's name or lack thereof is a really cool representation of her officially being in the part of her life where perhaps she can choose who she is or how she is. Uh, what struck me with Yuki as a character is that uh, I believe Yuki is the word for snow, which to me represents like that pure, soft, blank canvas that can become anything that you want it to be, um, which is hysterical because when you meet Yuki, it doesn't seem all that pure. He's kind of an asshole. <laughs> um, but what really struck me in his reinvention journey was not just having this moment of acceptance after his punishment, but almost in a way, uh, feeling jealous of the bond that Yato and Nora did have. Like part of what had him become compelled to really own his role as a Shinki was because he desired the closeness to Yato that Nora had. And there's something very endearing about that to me. Like it's very much the little brother that doesn't want to admit that he loves his big brother, but he secretly does. And um, like I mentioned it because you see Yuki transform from, you know, the pure white snow, the young rebellious boy that he is to really this weapon who's proud to serve his God, who at times has a bit of a jealous streak and who really looks out for Yato's benefit, like really looks out for him and is very protective of him. And I think you see this the most in the interactions that they have with the other god, Vishamontan. Yeah, and before we go to uh, Vina, also Bishamontan, um, just around Yuki, I think one of the reasons that Yato is actually able to fully embrace his new way of being is because of Yuki, because Yuki really shows his loyalty and his stand to his God by saying, hey, you're never going to go back and kill people anymore. I'm going to be here. We're going to kill evil together. We're actually going to use your skills as a fighter and as a warrior to get rid of evil, not to kill other human beings or other spirits anymore. And I think that's the that stand for his for Yato kind of really inspires Yato to say, okay, let's do this. You know, with you by my side, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> but that moment actually happened because of a fight with Bisha Montan or Ivina, who's a super powerful god. I mean, talk about she's the she's actually the god, the god of war. And what we know about Vina is that she has a lot of Shinki. I mean, this woman has a whole city full of Shinki. And she also hates Yato because of an incident that happened in their past where Yato killed off her initial family, her initial Shinki family. And because of that incident, she is blinded by rage and goes after Yato at any point in time. And what's interesting about Vina is that as powerful as she is, as the god of war, as the protector that she's supposed to be, she's often blinded by her rage and by that feeling of revenge. So much so that she actually strays from her own path because her um, her rage against Yatu and ultimately like face off with him kind of blinds her to the chaos 
within her own city, within her own Shingi family, where uh, some of them have become corrupted in a similar fashion that Yuki did. And so they start dying, they start getting killed off by this spirit phantom that kind of infiltrates their community. But she's blinded to all of that because she just wants her revenge against this god who killed her initial family. To the, to the detriment of herself, and the Shinki that are protecting her in that moment. She just can't see it. And so it's not until like her most loyal Shinki, her exemplar as it's called, um, kind of sacrifices himself, puts himself in harm's way, that Vina actually realizes how far this rage has actually affected her and really made her stray from her path. Yeah, um, you know, something that I love about Vina is that she's a secret softie. <laughs> She, she kind of reminds me a little bit of a lobster hard on the outside, but ooey gooey soft on the inside. And you see this because even though she's very explosive and very vengeful, specifically in wanting to have her revenge on Yato, like ultimately what fuels that desire is to avenge the Shinki that meant a lot to her. And you even see this moment where uh, she feels betrayed by one of them. She feels betrayed by Kazuma. And, you know, as a god, she has the power to kill her Shinki, especially if they've been disobedient. But instead, she chooses to exile him, which really demonstrates the generosity in her heart. And so I think what's really wonderful about Vina as she, you know, ultimately chooses to release her need for vengeance is you get to see her put that soft, tender side of her forward, but not at the expense of her power. She is still an exceptionally powerful god of war and god of fortune. And even with her opportunity to be reborn, she doesn't give up that part of herself. Like it's actually, she's, she's proud of her power. And what I like about that aspect of her reinvention story is it's again also the reminder that reinvention doesn't just have to happen because there's something wrong with you. If anything, it can very much be about, hey, what works about who you are and what does need to shift and grow? What works about Vina is that she is incredibly powerful. What needed to shift and grow was just giving up all the pain and resentment and getting to use her power towards something rather than to rectify something in the past. And I also think about Vina, what's really interesting about her whole story and journey is that because she's a really well-known god, because she's she has many shrines and is able to support so many Shinki, um, if she dies, she's rebirthed as a child and just has the same experience. You know, she just lives her life and continues as a new person. It's kind of like Doctor Who as a new entity, if you watch Doctor Who. And there's a point in the story where it seems that that's exactly what's going to happen here, where she has that option when her body's been so fully corrupted that she could just be killed or just die and be rebirthed as a new as a new baby in a blank slate. And I think what's really empowering about the whole situation is that she chooses to continue as her current self and recreate from that position rather than just starting from scratch. And I think it's a testament to how she's choosing something different. She's choosing a different way to relate to her Shinki, to relate to herself, to relate to Yato and the other gods. 
And that's what I think makes a really powerful reinvention story. Mm, delicious. So as we start to wrap up the episode, a couple key takeaways. First of all, you listening, you may not be a God or you are one. I'm not here to assume. But regardless of what kind of being you are in this lifetime, what could be possible if you purposefully strayed from the path that you're currently on? In other words, what could life look like if you purposefully chose one thing right now to reinvent? Again, not from a because it's wrong where it is, but from a because it might just get to be better from what's available on the other side. Uh, Additionally, if you love that these worlds, that kind of cross magical realism, spirituality, cool relationship development, I highly recommend you go back and listen to our Kamisama Kiss episode. Obviously, that one's a little more relationship-based, but can you blame us? It's just so juicy with the relationships. And if there are other series that, you know, talk about the relationships between gods and spirits and mortals in anime, feel free to shoot us some suggestions. And lastly, you might be going, how dare you write the plot being about Hiori and then not mention her at all in this episode? To which we say, oops. You can catch a conversation about her during Coach Taku Live. We go live at 6 p.m. every Friday after we release our episodes. Feel free to come join us and have the conversation. And we promise we will touch on our favorite half-spirit, half-human middle school girl then. Thanks for listening, everyone. Until next time. Bye-bye. For subscribing so you never miss a new episode. Have an idea for an episode or show you'd love us to discuss? DM us on our Insta, Coach Takupod, C-O-H-C-H-T-A-C-U-P-O-D, or email us at coachtakupod at gmail.com. Love your wonderful host? In that case, you can follow me, Christina, at herextinaroar on Instagram, and you can follow Mary at mary, M-E-R-Y, dot the nerdy coach. Thanks so much. Catch you in the next one.